0: You knew what you were looking for, and the Old Testament, man, it's really clear what it's talking about. Um, and for us, it seems kind of like, how do you, how do you miss that kind of stuff, right? So I just want to read one that gets that gets read. Well, that's not helpful. Um, <laughs> so I want to read one that gets read um, a lot. That that goes into um, talking a bit about kind of foreshadowing the birth of Jesus and the life of Jesus and the death of a lot of Jesus. Isaiah 53, and um, I'm just going to read 4 through 12. You don't have to turn there. You can if you really feel like it. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There's like you read this and you know where this is going, right? That's really obviously Jesus. Like, right? like we know where the we know where the movie ends up. If you've ever read the Old Testament, lots of verses in there, right? Many many pages. takes a long time to read it. And if you read that in itself. In the Advent season, and we're talking about Jesus. It's really obvious. What I'm going to propose to you this morning is that if we stop acting like we know how the story ends, I think it's very easy for us to understand how you wouldn't have seen the birth of Jesus coming. All right. So what I want to do is is go through um, is go through a little bit of uh, of Jewish history, and by a little bit. I mean all 4,000 years leading up to the birth of Jesus, but I've given myself a challenge, which is uh, I'm I'm going to try to do it in less than 10 minutes. Now, if you are a scholar of the Talmud, now's the time to take a restroom break, tune out, whatever, your head's going to explode. Uh, there's going to be sweeping generalities. I'm going to just bounce over like really tremendous characters and they won't even get mentioned. It's a real brief summary of what happened, right? So this is, this kind of like, I'm going to explain the Lord of the Rings trilogy and I get a minute and a half. That's, this is the kind of brevity we're talking about here, right? So, um, so here's the story of the jewish people so the the idea is that jesus is going to be the messiah to redeem not just god's people the 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 jewish the chosen people but also all of humanity and the prophets prophesy about him, and like well that's the idea how did they not see this coming well i'm going to propose this is how they didn't see it coming So I'm going to begin and try to give you rough dates. Uh, The first thing I don't have a date for, we're going to go with creation. I'm not going to throw a date out there for this one because it gets a little dicey. So I'm going to cheat and say it happened in the beginning. So, so get right, I thought that was anyway. um, So in the beginning, so you have the creation of the world. And then, you know, just huge chunks of years where like tremendous things happen. You have like Noah and the ark and the Tower of Babel and all this stuff. and, And a lot of years happen yada 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 you come to Abram all right Abram is this guy kind of walking about in the desert as most of these people would have been doing and God says hey look I'm gonna make you my guy and I'm gonna make a promise with you I'm gonna make your people many they are going to be my people it's a really like I'm gonna give them a land all this stuff and so Abram is like I, I, yeah, that's pretty much his. Uh, that's exactly his reaction. Uh, his, his uh, you know, his wife is a little less believing. It was, uh, it was more of a for real and for fake. But, but Abram says, all right, let, let's go with that. And it makes this covenant, and they begin walking. The, they are the chosen people. Um, they're the chosen people of God. And in this covenant, you have, you have like you know, huge promises. These things last like generations where these things aren't fulfilled, where you go from Abram and then you have Isaac and then you have Jacob slash Israel, depending on what year you're talking to him. And like, these are, these are tremendous stories and it really bothers me to skip over them, but we're going to for the sake of brevity. You come to the point where there's this guy named Joseph. And here's the first like story art that I think really bears some repeating with us here. Joseph is thrown into a pit by his brothers, is a slave in, in Egypt, makes his way up, becomes not a slave, does a solid for Pharaoh, keeps the Egyptians from starving. The Egyptians like not starving, so Joseph is a pretty big deal. And then the Israelites come down to beg, and then they say, oh, that's our brother that we threw into the pit. Hey, listen, um, you remember that time that we threw you in the pit? My bad. My um, <laughs> And, and Joseph is a much better dude than me and, and like, <laughs> gives them food, which is not what I would have done. Um, but the, so you have this moment where the Israelites are in Egypt and everything's going really well, right? The Egyptians are like, all right, Joseph said these are his people. They're the reason we didn't starve. We're going to treat them well. But then after a few generations, the Israelites start growing in number in Egypt. The Egyptians get pretty nervous, and they say, Okay, you have folks, there's a bunch of them here. We're worried they're going to take charge. Let's just go ahead and make them slaves. So the, the Egyptians enslaved the Israelites in Egypt. And at this point, the Israelites would be just and looking at this promise, this covenant from God, and say, Hey, God, um, <laughs> what's up with this? Uh, It's not going very well. And they're slaves in Egypt for like 400 years. This stuff happens a, a really long time, right? And then you got Moses that comes in. And Moses is this redemption character that comes in to bring the Israelites out of slavery. And he's this really uniquely positioned person where he has standing within the Egyptian court, but then he's also a Hebrew by birth. And that stuff comes together, and then God... There's a word I'm going to use a lot here. The Hebrew translation, in, in English, it, it's the word smite. I'm going to say smote. Uh, it translates roughly to like go upside the head. Um, now, at this point, I will say I dropped out of seminary before taking Hebrew. It's probably not a direct translation to going upside the head. But if you are smitten or smote, or uh, the past tense of that verb is somewhat vague to me, uh, it's not good. Um, you do not want to be the victim of a smiting. So God takes it to the, the, the Egyptians. Plagues, the whole bit, you know, parting sea, the army of the Pharaoh goes through, sea swallows them up. Not good. And the Israelites escape. And so you have this character of Moses where the problem was the enslavement, the solution was the power of God, and physical force, right? It, it was violence. That did this right. This was not. This was not like a, the the Egyptian army said. Mm, you know, go ahead, go where you want to. No, they were killed, right? Like that was the way that this thing worked out. And so the Egyptians are gone. The Israelites go. They wander around in the desert for way longer than they had to. I think that works out to like an eleven-day trip. Took forty years, whatever. And so they finally go into this promised land. If you remember way back in the covenant, which was now what uh, historical experts would call a long time ago. Uh, They walk through the wilderness and they eventually find their way into the promised land. And the promised land is taken once again by force. It's, it's, It's battles. It's bloodshed. It's power the way that we would recognize power. And then you go into a period of the judges. And again, in the period of the judges, you have really high quality violence, right? You have like Samson bringing temples down. You have Gideon dividing an army down to like tiny little numbers and still defeating the other army. But again, defeat looks like we would think of defeat. It's bloodshed. It is the physical destruction of your enemy. And that's the way this works out. And and the kingdom of Israel is established in the promised land by violence. And so then you have the period of the kings. And the, this was not God's idea, I should say. Right? God didn't sell them to do this. The Israelites said, hey, I think we should have a king. And God says, that's a really terrible idea. I'm going to list about 25 reasons that's a terrible idea. And the Israelites say, mm, yeah, but I think we're going to do that anyway. And every single thing that God said was going to happen, happened. Um, spoiler alert, he kind of knows what's going on. So the Israelites have kings. Some are good. Some are bad, mostly bad. Um, but you've got some that are really seen as good. And this is the moment where, as best I can tell, the Israelites or the Jews think, man, this is what we're trying to get back to. So you've got Saul, eh, not great. But then David, this King David is the archetypal good Jewish king. Not perfect, but good. But even in his goodness, he messes things up. So when you have Solomon you know, extremely wise, purportedly, still, the the mess up of David's in the background, and the result of it is after Solomon, this, after three kings, the Jewish kingdom splits in half, you have a northern and southern kingdom, really go to war with each other much, but the northern kingdom falls before the southern kingdom, and eventually, there's some prophets in there, this is really... I'm going over a lot here. There's some prophets in there telling the Israelites, guys, y'all better stop messing up. Y'all better stop messing up. This is not going to go well. They keep messing up. It doesn't go well. Okay. A, a neighbor that is stronger than them, the Babylonians, carry them into captivity. Yeah. They're carried into captivity, and the pain of this for the Israelites is unbelievable. You read the literature of this. Like, you, there's uh, There's one where... And one of the psalms, I believe, it mentions, you know, we're carried over to the, the rivers of Babylon, and, and there we wept when we remembered our home. And our captors required us to sing them a song, but how can we sing a song of our home when we sit in a strange land? Like, there's this yearning to be home, and I'm here against my will, and things have not gone well, and the pain has probably increased because deep down, they had their warnings, and they know that this is on them. And then redemption... Happens again. You've got characters like Nehemiah and Ezra and Esther that, that go through this restoration period that just go before the king of the Babylonians said, hey, look, let, it, let's, let us go back to our home. And they rebuild Jerusalem. Now, not into something like the kingdom that it was before, but in about, I want to say this is somewhere in the neighborhood, the restoration somewhere in the neighborhood of 600 to 400 B.C. So we're talking about 600 to 400 years before the birth of Christ, you have them go back to Jerusalem. They rebuild the city. They rebuild the walls. They rebuild the temple. They rediscover the law. They try to reteach it to the people. But there's no power. Right? There, there's, they're, they're still very much at the will of the people that are around them. And so roughly 60 years before the birth of Jesus, when the Romans show up under Pompey the Great, they have no answer for Roman legions. And so there's, there's, not, there's no battle. There's no, there's no real defense. It's just now the Romans are in charge. And that's where we find the, themselves when, when Jesus arrives, is the Jewish people are under the thumb of a foreigner who has superior power, largely because of their own mistakes, and they're waiting for a Redeemer. This is a Redeemer had been prophesied in the Scriptures. And there's prophecy like this right here of a redeemer, but that's not matching the story they're thinking of, right? So when you think about the world as it should be, I, I want you to pause, and this is kind of where our story intersects with the Jews here. Raise your hand if you think that the world as it is should be different, right? Like you look at the world, right, and the world's not the way it should be. Now, there are some people, like, like you, you probably have some good answers and some bad answers to that, but, like, what would change, right? So you have some good answers, like, uh, you know, there would be no war, and everyone, like, we have these beauty pageant contestant answers, like, I just want peace, and there should be no poverty. But we also have some bad answers, like, the world is not doing the right thing in relation to me. It did not work out the way that I thought it should, as far as I'm concerned. It should be treating me differently than I'm treated. My story should have been different than it was, right? And so, like that, we have this idea of ourselves as the center of the story, and somehow nobody else in the story realizes how important we are to the story, right? That's, and that's like, I'm willing to admit that, you know? Thank you. Uh, But, I mean, me and Willie are are that way. There may be some of you that don't view the world so, like, self-centrically, but I think it's extremely natural to do so. And the story of the Jews, like, think of the language in some of this, right? You are my chosen people. I'm going to make you great. The people that curse you, I'm going to curse. The people that bless you, I'm going to bless they are chosen by the God who spoke the universe into creation, right? If any people group in their literature had the reason to feel that the story revolved around them, it's this group. And so the story's not working out. Now, they, their is their on one of the great things about the Old Testament is how it doesn't cover up its own flaws. Like, they, they, sure. they record the mistakes and the stupid moments down. And so much of the problem is of their own, but all of the problem is of their own making. And they're honest about that, but that it hasn't worked out the way that they think it was supposed to. And they think that they have a redeemer coming. But the problem is, what are you getting redeemed from? Right? Like, that's, that's the issue that I think is... I don't need that one anymore. Um, yeah, I, I don't even know why I brought it. Um, so, the... You have the. You have. What are you looking for in a in a redeemer in this situation? Right. All right. So think back to the redeemers in the past. Moses, perfectly situated in his character, accomplished it with the help of God by force. Redemption looks like overpowering the Egyptians. Right. Nehemiah, the leadership that leads the restoration. Right. It's done. Yes, he goes and requests it with the king, but what do you do to restore you build up a wall, you make Jerusalem defensible. It's done by by having some ability to resist the power of your neighbors. You look at the judges or the kings of Israel like why did David, why was David able to expand the power of the of the kingdom of Israel? Because his armies beat other armies in battle. That's the way that redemption looks. So if it looked like that in the first story, in the second story, in the third story, well, that's what you're waiting for again, right? So what does it look like now? You're under the thumbs of the Romans. As people to be under the thumbs of, that's not great. They're extremely good at killing people. So you need somebody who can redeem yourself from a foreign and pagan enemy that you're under the thumb of. You don't like their control. You don't like their taxes. You don't like the fact that your courts and your temple has to check with them to see whether or not they can do what it is that they're doing. You want to be in charge again and you need a redeemer. So what's your redeemer look like? Well, he looks like a general, doesn't he? Right? He looks like the leader of a rebel militia is what he looks like. Because that's the way that that story would operate. He'd probably have some preacher in him because, yeah, you need God to be part of the story, but really it's mostly about the blood and guts and let's kill him. Right? That's the person you're looking for. Because what you think your sickness is, is the power of the Romans. Now, you'll notice that when Jesus comes on the scene, he really couldn't care less about the Romans. Right? Like, you have these little moments where, like, hey, should we pay taxes? And, like, Jesus is like, yeah, his name's on the money. Just give him what he wants. Nobody cares. That's not important. Right? Like, this is, but that's what you're supposed to be worried about, right? And you're not worried about that. You can't be the guy. And so that's what you think you're going to. So, has, um... This is a really dumb example, but it is what it is. Um, I've broken a lot of bones. I'm really good at it. Um, I know what it feels like. Uh, yeah, 17, 17 is my last count, um, and, and I know what it feels like. I pretty well got it memorized. So, like you know, I don't need a diagnosis about not. I didn't hear it, but I've done this before. I've been in this room a lot of times. It's broken. Just you know, do your thing. Give me a couple pills. Let me go to get it casted, and, and we'll be good. Been there, done that. All right, so I go to the orthopedist, and in my head, my problem is that my leg um, is not in one piece anymore. It needs to be in one piece, any, uh, and so, and because it's in that you know situation, it needs to be casted. And I sure would appreciate it if you give me some stuff I couldn't get off the shelf at the store because it's kind of hurting pretty good. Been there a lot of times. And so he uh, does X-rays again because hey, why not? and um, and says, hey, look, do you have any clothes in the car? And I'm not a medical expert, but I figure this can't be good. Um, And he says, yeah, uh, the problem is quite a lot worse, and we're going to have to go in and break it worse and then put it back together and do all this stuff I didn't understand. I did not go to that doctor so that my leg could be broken worse. In my head, the problem was it was broken at all. I was there to have it not as broken, And not hurting so bad. His solution: break it worse, make it hurt worse. Anyway, not not but what he realized because he is smart and said words when looking at the X-ray that I still didn't understand is that it wasn't my problem was deeper than I realized it was. What I felt my problem was was not really my problem. Now that's even truer here. What the Jews think their problem is is the Romans. They think their problem is the domination by a more powerful person or people. That's what they need to be rescued from. Jesus did not come onto the scene to rescue them from the Romans. Because what he realized is their problem was quite a lot worse than that. I love the story where the paralyzed dude is lowered through the roof and like they lay him on a table in front of Jesus cuz Jesus has been healing people and Jesus looks at this guy who we don't know if he wants to be there or not but he's paralyzed so hey what's he going to do about it and they lower him down on the table and Jesus looks at him and said your sins are forgiven. And you know this guy had to be like great <laughs> fantastic All right, guys, lift me up. My sins are forgiven. It's good. And he says, all right, fine. I know why you came here. But just so you know that I can do that sin-forgiving thing, go ahead and walk. Right? Like the healing was, was not why he was here. It was done to prove that he had the power to redeem. And what the Jews didn't realize was their problem wasn't the Romans. Their problem wasn't whether or not they controlled the promised land. Their problem... Was the same as it had been since the third chapter of the book. Their problem is they were broken by sin. Their problem is that they were mastered over by death. And Jesus was coming to defeat death, not the Romans. Right? Like, you, you come up with the best general, right? right? The best, best military commanders in history. Right? Like, we, we've been blessed in this nation to have a bunch of them. You know what? Nimitz was great at defeating the Japanese Navy. He was trash at defeating death. Right? Like, and that's true for all of them. You can come up with the best ones, right? Genghis Khan was great at killing people. Still couldn't defeat death. It came for him and it won. So the general's not going to do it, but that's who they think they're going for. And lest we think we're so much smarter than them, I want you to put yourself in the position of being kind of under the thumb of... Um, under the thumb of the Romans. And you've been that way for at least your lifetime. Okay? And as you do that, you read the same book that I read before, but you're not great at math, six chapters before. All right? So you're in the same neighborhood. I want to read a bit from Isaiah 47. This is how you get it wrong starting in verse 4. Our Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, is his name, is the Holy One of Israel. Sit in silence and go into darkness, O daughter of the Chaldeans, for you shall no more be called the mistress of kingdoms. I was angry with my people. I profaned my heritage. I gave them into your hand. You showed them no mercy. On the aged, you made your yoke exceedingly heavy. You said, I shall be mistress forever. So that you did not lay these things to heart or remember their end. Now therefore hear this, you lover of pleasures who sit securely, who say in your heart, I am and there is none beside me. I shall not sit as a widow or know the loss of children. These two things shall come to you in a moment. In one day with loss of children and widowhood shall come upon you in full measure. In spite of your many sorceries and the great power of your enchantments. You felt secure in your wickedness, and you said, No one sees me. Your wisdom and your knowledge led you astray, and you said in your heart, I am and there is none beside me, but evil shall come upon you, which you will not know how to charm away. Disaster will fall upon you, for which you will not be able to atone, and ruin shall come upon you, and suddenly, of which you know nothing. Right? That's the same book, guys. And if you're, if you're a Jewish scholar... you're tired of living under the Romans and you look at them and they're so degum arrogant and they're so powerful and the governor of your area is mad that he has to be governor of your area because he doesn't even want to be here it's just where he was sent by his army and the guy that's in control of you that you want to get rid of is so arrogant he doesn't even want to be in control of you he's just doing it because it's his duty and you feel so low and you read this that's the redeemer you're looking for you want the people that are inflicting pain on you to feel pain because you think that their power is your problem when your problem is much bigger than that and so when Jesus comes we know this because we read the end of the book if you haven't you should, great book um, but we know this, but when Jesus comes and we launch into Advent, we'll focus on the, the, the coming of Jesus next week. And it's very difficult because there's no like application I can ask you to make here. I want you to pay attention to the fact that we're still capable of making the same mistake. Because you think of what you want from God, right? How many of us really realize that our greatest problem the thing we most need redemption from is and has always been our sin. The thing that we must be rescued from is and always will be death. That Jesus did not come as a general because us being in power was not the point. He did not come as a stockbroker because us being wealthy not the point. He came in innocence and as a child and as a sacrifice because our problem was death and that was the only way it could be defeated so as we go about it i want us to to think and reflect as we launch into advent this season know our position in the story look at our hearts and know what it is that we truly need to be redeemed from is if we focus on that through the Christmas story and we pay attention to what it teaches us about the priorities of Jesus and about the values of God,